All right, how many of you ever said this to yourself, what's wrong with me? Okay, three of you. How many of you said that to somebody else? How many parents have ever said that to your kids? What's wrong with you? Um, we, are, we are in a series looking at our world through a biblical Christian worldview. And, and how do we handle all the different things that are going on in our world today? And I want us to know this morning that the early church was faced with the same cultural challenges as we are today. And it's wonderful to have the Word of God that we can go to to help us to understand where our focus needs to be and how do we handle these challenges that are faced our way. And we, we know it's 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 difficult world that we live in. Um, how do we live in our world without becoming exclusive and distant but still walking in the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. Um, If we're honest with ourselves, it feels like everything is now being redefined. Um, We live in a canceled culture that says, you know, we'll cancel you if you don't think the way we do, or we will draw support. We'll have a campaign campaign against you if you don't align with us. And so it's, it's it's a difficult culture to live in. And I wanted to address this as a church and understand what is our worldview. What is our Christian worldview? And Pastor Brand did a great job yesterday, uh, last week handling that Christian worldview. And I want to look at some specific things today and understand why are we in the mess that we are today. And what I love about the Word of God, it addresses for us the things that we're all faced with. The Word of God addresses for us, God tells us why we, why we were created why on earth are we here? Why are we here on earth? It deals with the mess that we're in. Why is the world evil? Why do we deal with such atrocities? And then the Word of God also addresses how we fix the problem and how we fix our brokenness. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is look at Genesis chapter 3. And first today, understand why we are like we are today, and then, and then understand in Genesis chapter 3 that it has to do with relationships, marriage, identity. Um, why do we struggle with, with, with our identity? And, and, and there's a huge struggle with that today, and we, have, we live and we have a culture today that has really blurred the lines um, with sexual identity. And I want to read something for you that I found on a website for, for teenagers, um, and it's kind of a question and answer thing, and they answered this question on how many genders there are. So this was a website that answered the question to teenagers who had the question of how many genders there are. Now, I, w- I want to read to you what, what, what they wrote. And w- I want us to be careful here. I don't, I don't read this to polarize us, to say, oh, look how bad the world is and, and look how messed up they are and, you know, and, and, and judge it. I want you to see the confusion that's in our world today because we're struggling with identity. And I want us to understand the gospel message because what Jesus does is he deals with our identity and the struggle that we have. Because when you look at the Garden of Eden and you look at the rebellion of of Adam and Eve, we see a couple things that have happened there. We see, number one, their covenant relationship with God was broken, and then their covenant relationship with one another were broken. And because of that, there was shame. And they saw their nakedness, and they had to cover themselves from that because they were ashamed of it. And I want you to understand, it's just not the nakedness. They were covering their shame and their guilt. Something was not only broken with their relationship with God, but broken with one another, and their identity was lost. 
We live in a world today that is searching for identity. And I believe with all my heart, the word of God shows us what our identity is in Christ. That he restores that for us. Through his, through his death on the cross and coming for us, restores the thing that was originally broken in the Garden of Eden that we see in Genesis chapter 3. But let me read to you why we live in such a confusing world. Here's, I quote you this website who tries to answer the question on, on how many genders there are. They say this, quote, the short answer is a whole bunch. Some say as many as 72. Until recently, our society has only acknowledged two genders, male and female, but this has never been true. Many cultures and societies around the world have always known and embraced the knowledge that there are more than two genders. It's important to recognize the role of colonization that is played in interrupting the knowledge. It tried to stop the knowledge that there are more than two genders. What I want to do is I'm going to dig into this in two weeks when I talk about marriage, identity, the struggle for identity, gender confusion. Um, there was a woman that I listened to the other day. She wrote a book. Her name is Nancy Percy. She wrote a book called Love Thy Body. And what she does is, is go back to understanding biblically how important God sees our physical body and how important that is. And, and, and not, only, not only in the, in the role of who we are as a person and trying to identify that and trying to bring harmony in who I am as a person than who I am physically, but also the importance that we see, the importance of the rights of those that are unborn how important that is that we see that in our body or elderly people, how important that is. And coming back to honoring our bodies and the way God has designed our bodies and honoring that. Listen to what Nancy Percy says in her book, Love Thy Body. She goes, Christianity assigns the human body a much richer dignity and value. Humans do not need freedom from the body to discover their true authentic self. Rather, we can celebrate our embodied existence as a good gift from God. Instead of escaping from the body, the goal is to live in harmony with it. And I will address this in much more detail in a couple of weeks when I talk about identity and the, the difficultness in our marriage relationships and why we struggle. It comes down to identity, finding our true identity in Christ. And let's all admit, it's a very confusing time. And I want to make sure we as the church, listen to my heart, church. As we see this, there's a delicate balance between living the truth and what we believe what scriptures say and what the will of God is and how God has created us and created our bodies. And then having a judgmental, um, maybe pointing our finger at the world and isolating ourselves from the world. I believe God wants us to have a compassionate heart and actually live the gospel out in our society, in our culture. That's what transformed the early church was the presence and the power and the transformation of the gospel. Church, we need to stick so close to the gospel. We need to be gospel-centered and we need to be a gospel-preaching, teaching church because that's what transforms lives. And if we're not careful, we can move away from the gospel message and then begin to embrace all these other teachings and just accept people the way they are. But Jesus didn't come for good people. Jesus came for sinners. And we are broken, we are dysfunctional, and we are defective. Can I have an amen? Aren't you glad you came to church today, right? But Jesus came to restore 
what was broken in Genesis chapter 3. So if we don't have a correct understanding of Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be confused on how to deal with the confusion that's in the world today. And I believe that God wants us to reach out to people. He wants us to love people. He wants to embrace people. He wants us to love people and to show them the truth of the gospel message of Christ as we walk in truth, but walk in that love. And so we have to have a correct understanding of the gospel message. What does that mean? And and how did that message transform uh, the first century and how the church grew uh, so much because of that message of Christ? So it's, 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 it's paramount that we address the issue with truth and grace and in the spirit of Christ. But let's understand the gospel message because we, we have to get this right. We have to get this right. We need to understand that the early church faced the same struggles that we do. Um, and, and, they, and they not only survived, but they actually thrived. And so how did the church grow in its infancy with so many obstacles against it? Remember, the people that were coming to Christ were coming out of their culture. The very culture that was so anti-God and, and anti-Christ, in fact, in many cases, just persecution. But they came out of that culture, and, and Christ did something incredible within them as, they, as he transformed them into the people that he desired them to be. So how did the church grow in its infancy with so many obstacles? I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul, what he declares. The message Paul spoke is the same message that we must stay true to today. And the message is the early church understood the power of the gospel message to transform lives. Before you today, Barton Drace, I was transformed by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old. And he transformed my heart. Does that mean I'm perfect? Does that mean I make mistakes? Kathleen said, amen. I heard her in the front row. Yes, we still make mistakes but it was Christ who transformed me. For those of you that had become followers of Jesus, it was the message of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel message that transformed your life. Not religion, not just coming to church, not just reading the Bible. We can have a lot of Bible knowledge, but still not be transformed. It's the transformation of the power of the words that are in the Bible that transforms our lives. Listen, my orange juice was expired. I had an espresso this morning, so I have no idea what I'm going to say. So I'm ready. I'm fired up, all right? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, you're with me, church. Thank you, church. Those online, amen. Type it in, amen. Well, let's look at a couple of passages here because I love what Paul says here. And, and let's look at a couple of his epistles, his letters here, and hear what he says about the gospel. Romans 1.16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And then to the church in Corinth, he says, this is the wisdom of God. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but those who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And then he writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, and then he's speaking to them. He says, you were part of this culture, but look what happened. He says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. What is the message of truth? What is it? Paul answers it for us. He says, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
What Paul is saying, it was the message, the gospel message that transformed your heart. It was the truth of the message of Christ that transformed you. What is the common theme in all these verses? It's the gospel message. So we have to understand the meaning of the gospel message. We've got to get this right, church. It's got to start with us because when we know the message of the gospel and it transforms us, then we're going to live that message before our world today. And people are going to see that transformation within your life. So most would say the message, the gospel message, you know, they understand Jesus died for our sins. He came to earth, incarnation, fully God, fully man. came to die on the cross for our sins. If you believe in him, you, you can go to heaven. And that's great. But I want you to know there's so much more. So the question I want to answer for you this morning is, what is the gospel? What is it? Well, I want you to understand first, the gospel is an announcement of what Christ did for us, not what you need to do. Okay, I'm going to hammer this point down because I want us to get this right because what we, what we can tend to do in pronouncing the gospel to people is we tend to put the cart before the horse and we can tend to tell people what they need to do first before hearing the message The message has to come first. The gospel message is an announcement of what Christ did for us first, not what you need to do. Okay, so I need someone to help me real quick because I want to illustrate this. Brandon, would you come up real quick? Thank you. You can tell he was in the military. The minute I said, Brandon, come up, he hopped right up and came up. Thank you, Brandon. Okay, Brandon, stand right here. Okay, thank you. I thought you'd be wearing your Bill shirt, but that's okay. We'll, we'll We'll let it slide. Okay, so I want you to see, here's Jesus. Here's Brandon. And here's me, somebody who wants to share the love of Jesus with, with Brandon. What we can tend to do so many times is we say, okay, Brandon, but before you come to Christ, well, you've you got, you got to stop doing this. So now we put the, and here's Jesus, and we put, we put this obstacle in front of him. Well, well Brandon, you've got to start coming to church. And is this what you're going to wear to church? Is that what you're going to wear? Really? Okay, you got a chance. And, and Brandon, what Bible, what version of the Bible are you going to read? Okay, you got to make sure you read this version. And we put all these things. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing that. But the gospel, listen, is first an announcement of what Jesus did for Brandon, that he gave his life for Brandon. And what Jesus does is he takes away all those obstacles and he says, Brandon, first come to me. Come to me. Have faith in me and what I did for you. And then what Jesus does is Brandon's heart is transformed through the gospel message. What Brandon says now is, I want to obey Jesus. And what begins to happen is the things that are our life that block us from him, the things that we know we need to lay down, all of a sudden, guess who removes those? Jesus removes those. So what Jesus says to Brandon is, come to me with all your shortcomings, with all your frailties. You come to me. Let me embrace you with my love and my forgiveness and let me first transform your heart, not transform all these actions that, that need to change, amen? We all need to change. We all got things in our lives, right? We need to change those. But let me first change your heart because if Jesus has our heart, he's got everything. And then the obedience comes and then Jesus begins to transform us into his likeness. So Jesus says, Brandon, just come to me. Just come to me. Give me a hug, Brandon. Just come, come to me, Brandon. Amen. Amen. Can we get Brandon a hand? Good job, Brandon. Thank you, man. See, it would be absolutely crazy for us just to, just to say, you got to do this, you got to do that. And many times, that's how we present the gospel, but it would be crazy. You see, God did not put all these hurdles 
in front of us to come to Christ. In fact, Jesus wipes out all the hurdles for us. He paves the way for us to come to him by what he did for us on the cross. So the gospel is this wonderful announcement first before it tells you what to do. The gospel is a proclamation of God's good news before it tells you what to do. Because listen, it's so much easier for me to tell people what they need to do, what they need to stop doing, than telling them what Jesus actually accomplished for them already. See, what begins to happen is we begin to approach God through these works and through my self-righteousness, and that doesn't work. True transformation comes when Christ transforms your heart. You see, what the gospel actually does is it frees us from our self-righteous pursuits. The gospel frees us from trying to be holy without Christ. It frees us from trying to please God in our own works. The message of Jesus humbles me and shows me that I don't deserve God's grace, yet God freely, and he gives me his grace freely, he gives me his mercy freely. So what causes me to want to obey Christ and obey Jesus is his incredible love for me and what he did for me. And I didn't deserve it. We need to get a correct understanding that there's nothing good in me that could ever please a perfect, holy God because every single one of us are broken because of Genesis chapter 3. And we all need a Savior. And because of that brokenness, we see all the things that are going on in our world today, gender confusion, all this stuff, my identity, all this That's what we're seeing in our world today. The answer is our identity in Christ who fixes us completely. So the gospel message, what it does is it frees us from trying to be good enough. It's not a performance. It's not a grading system. It's not you're on the varsity Christian team and you're on the junior varsity Christian team and hopefully one day you can go from JV um, to varsity if you're good enough. That's not what it is. What makes the gospel so powerful is that how it transforms lives. Jesus, through his perfect life, paid the penalty for our sin by becoming our substitute. And through his resurrection, he conquered sin and death to prove to the world that he was God. And so because he's our substitute, Jesus is the only one who can deal with our sin issue. So through faith in Christ, we too can overcome and live with him forever. So in order for us to correctly deal with the world, we need to know what we believe. So the gospel must be real to us. We must live out the gospel in our daily lives. So how does this look practically? Let me just give you a couple of things. How does this look practically? How, how do I live the gospel out in my life? Well, if Christ forgave us when we didn't deserve it, guess what? What do we need to do for others? We need to forgive them, right? Easier said than done, right? We need to forgive. If, we under, if, the, if the gospel has transformed our hearts, then we need to forgive others. If Jesus loved the world, then, then we need to love the world. Our heart's desire to, to, is to want to reach the world with the love of Christ. If Jesus showed us grace, then, then we must show grace. And, and let's, can we just be honest with ourselves this, this morning? Let's be honest with ourselves. Many times... We may not act very loving, right? I know, because I've seen your Facebook posts. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Just teasing. See, we live in this fallen, sinful world, and we're all sinners. And even as Christ's followers, we still sin. 
We can hurt one another. We can gossip. We can get angry. We can do things that are unbecoming of Jesus. So we need to get real with ourselves first before we go on judging the world. So this is, this is going to be fun today. So we need to understand. We have to have a correct worldview of evil and sin and why we're in the mess that we're in today. We need to have this correct biblical worldview to understand what is at the heart of the issue and to have a correct view of ourselves is vital. And the world that we live in, we must understand the fall of man. So let's read Genesis chapter 3, and I, I want to read for you the account of what exactly happened in the fall of man and what was going on here with the serpent and, and why we are in such an identity crisis today. Let's look at that verse in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, from it your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, what do we understand from this? Well, what we understand from this is that our world is broken because of this, that because of that we have a sin nature, and we live in a world of atrocities. So why do we live in a world with such evil and people doing such evil things? Well, the Bible shows us that it's within us. The root of the problem and where it stems from is from our rebellion. In fact, Jeremiah says this. He says, the heart, the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? An unchecked heart is a very dangerous thing. So we need to understand ourselves first that we were rebellious, that we walked away from the Lord. There was a, um, a 60, I read an article about a 60 Minutes interview with Mike Wallace in 1983. And Mike Wallace was interviewing a man named Yehiel Denur, who was a Holocaust survivor. And uh, Denur got to go to the trial in 1963 of Adolf Ekman, who was behind many of the death camps in Nazi Germany. And, and so Denur was going to actually face him at this trial. So as Mike Wallace was interviewing him, uh, as the story goes, in the trial, Denur, when he saw Adolf Eichmann, actually fainted. Actually fainted in the trial. And so the, the question was, why was Denur so overcome, overcome? Why did he faint? Was it because of hatred or horrid memories? Um, but none of this was the case. In fact, you know, in fact, Mike Wallace was really like questioned, like really when he gave him the answer of why he fainted, he, Mike Wallace couldn't believe uh, the answer. He was actually, Mike Wallace was actually shocked by his answer. And all at once, he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. Here's what Denure figured out. He said this, this Eichmann was an ordinary man. 
Let me quote what he said. He says, I was afraid about myself, said Denur. I saw that I'm capable to do this. I am exactly like he. That's some pretty good self-inspection of yourself, isn't it? Of your heart. Here's a Holocaust survivor realizing that he has the same potential of evil as this officer did in the Nazi army. See, that's an eye-opening thing that we need to understand that we live in a fallen world and that we're lost. You see, that's why we have to be so careful to check our hearts. And that's the reason why we need to come to God and we need to come to Christ because he's the only one that can truly fix us because he was perfect. See, I want you to notice the scene in the garden. The serpent didn't go after the existence of God. The serpent went after the heart of man. That's what the serpent did. It went after the heart of man. The serpent got them to doubt the goodness of God. Can you trust him? You have to do it your way. You will find your identity. You will find who you are when you do it your way. See, the lie of the serpent... The lie of the serpent is to believe in yourself and to trust in yourself. What Denur said, he goes, I don't trust in myself. I don't trust my heart. I think it's a good way to look at it. See, the fall of man brought sin into the world and into the world and caused us not to trust God. Not to trust God. So what do we do? Well, we search for our identity and meaning our whole life. We try to find it in our jobs, how well our kids turn out. We try to find our identity in, in what we do, not who we are. See, it's interesting. You know, you know, men, we get together, we always ask, well, what do you do? 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 Right? Um, you know, usually when I'm on a plane or I meet someone new and they ask me what I do, I'm like, okay, that, once I tell them what I do, it's the end of the conversation. So happened to us, and I'll tell you the whole story. It was kind of a cool story. Kathleen and I flying back from a wedding last week, but I'll, I'll share the story for another, another uh, the whole story for another time because it was kind of cool. But the person we were sitting next to, me, next to us asked me what I did. And I go, okay, this is going to be the end of the conversation because once I say I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, okay, that's nice. And then they put their headphones on and they watch the movie, right? And then they change the movie they were watching to something better. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So, so this guy, he asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor, and you wouldn't believe, I, I was shocked when I heard his answer. He goes, I can't believe I'm sitting next to a pastor. I have so many questions for you. I'm like, that's the first time this has ever, ever happened. Thank you. Um, but that's what we do. We, we find our identity in what we do. See, what happened with Adam and Eve when, when there was destruction in the garden, their rebellion, they lost that identity of who they were and what the purpose of their marriage was. They lost their identity with God and that covenant with God. That was destroyed. That's why they had to cover themselves. And I'm going to get really more deep into that in a couple weeks. But that's what we're searching for. See, my heart, my heart, our hearts should be broken for those who struggle with that because we all do. So instead of judging, we should say, you know what? We all struggle with this identity thing. And unless we're fixed by Christ, we will continue to struggle to find ourselves and what we do in, in things and things in this world to give us significance, and it will never happen. And to be honest with you, that's what I see so much in our world today with gender confusion. There's this thing of trying to find who I am, and can I be different, and can I relate? Will people love me more? Jesus has the answer for that. He really does. And he fixes us completely. See, if we're not careful, even in our Christian walk, 
we can get self-centered and forget the one who actually saved us. We can actually do things that benefit us. I caught myself not too long ago, somebody, I was talking to somebody, they don't go to our church, but they knew we did a lot of missions trips and we're, I was talking to them in the store and they were saying, man, your church does so many good things. Missions trips and you reach out to the community, that is so wonderful. And I, and I kind of caught myself for just a, a second saying, yeah, we do do some good things, <laughs> right? And then God convicted my heart and says, Barden, you don't do a thing. It's me. It's me. I'm the one that's good. I'm the one that should get the glory. See, if we're not constantly checking our hearts, it's so easy for us to want to receive the glory and not God. You see, we need to understand that we live in a broken world and we are broken people and we all need a Savior to show us the way. So Jesus shows us the way through his humility. He gave up everything to reach us and to heal us. So what Jesus actually does is, is he takes our rebellion and our self-centeredness and makes us new and complete in him. Jesus gives us a new identity. He gives us a new heart. And he redirects us. And he changes us. And that's a constant pursuit to find ourselves in Christ because we're always lured by the world, aren't we? We're always lured by, oh, this thing will make me feel better or this thing will give me more identity and more significance. And then we do that. And then that's not enough. And we go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. See, we need to live our lives at the foot of the cross. This will keep us humble as we deal with the difficult things of our world. How we live our lives matter. What we do in our bodies matter to God. And so the only way that we're going to truly find significance in this world and and to be a church and to be a body that reaches out to those in our world is to first know that we are broken and that we need a Savior and that we need to be gospel-centered every single day. That we need to keep coming back to that message of Christ that, Barden, I saved you by my grace and you had nothing to do with it. It's not by your works or your goodness. It's my grace. It's my grace. So listen, here's my heartbeat for, for you as our church as we deal with our world and the struggles in our world today that we would walk in that truth of who Jesus is and we can't compromise from that truth because I'll be honest with you, that's the only hope we have. That's it. But let's be careful in how we present that truth that is presented in the love of Christ that gave his life for us and that should humble us. That should cause you to want to have conversations with people and want to help people and show them, listen, you know, I'm not perfect. I've got a lot, you know, we aren't. But when we humble ourselves and say, I know who has the answers and that's Christ Jesus. And when we begin to live our lives with that type of humility, I believe the door opens up for better conversations. See, I want us to be a people that people want to come to and talk to. Not like, oh man, if I go talk to Bard and he's just going to, you know, beat me down with the Bible or he's, you know, they're going to, it's just going to be this judgmental conversation. All of a sudden we, we have no more conversations and we cut that line off. But we should actually be a people that keep those conversations going because we have the truth and let the gospel message transform hearts and lives. Not how different we are and how you know, whether it's a political polarization, how we pull ourselves apart.
It's done way too much damage. And let's get back to the gospel and what Jesus Christ did for us, church, and let's live it out in our lives. So as we, as we take communion today, I'm going to stop because I kept going, so I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop. But listen, as we take communion today, I want us just to examine our hearts and our lives once again. And just examine our hearts and say, Christ, have I missed you here? Am I a little bit too judgmental? Am I, you know, and believe me, it's easy to get frustrated, but let the gospel transform your heart. Let it saturate your heart. And so as we take communion today, let's examine our hearts and our lives. Say, Jesus, am I gospel focused? Am I gospel centered? Or have I allowed a lot of other things to distract me from your calling? And that's what I love about the purpose and the calling of Paul and the other apostles. They didn't allow the other things in their culture to distract them from the thing of presenting the gospel because they knew that was the only thing that could transform hearts and lives. That's the power of the message of Jesus to transform hearts and lives and then allow Christ, allow him to do the change that he needs to do in their lives. There's this one gentleman, I read a lot of his books and I listen to his podcasts and I, I really appreciate him. His name is Sam Alsbury. He's a, he's a, a pastor in England. And Sam has always struggled with same-sex attraction since he was a little boy. And he goes, I've just always struggled with it. He gave his heart to Christ. He follows the Lord. He's remained celibate before the Lord. He says, even though I struggle with this and I remain celibate, he goes, I have to obey my Lord and Savior above everything else. And I appreciate his heart. I appreciate that he's open and honest with his struggle but that he understands the message of Christ and, and, the, and how he has to obey him, even though he has these feelings. And even though he could easily give in to them or try to justify them or twist things in the word of God to, to justify his living, he will not do that for the sake of the gospel message and his obedience to Jesus Christ. And I appreciate that message. And he's got many open doors to speak into hearts and lives, even though he gets, he gets a lot of persecution also. But I appreciate that his ultimate allegiance is to his obedience to Christ and the call as he struggles, as he struggles in his own personal life, that he remains obedient to Jesus and his word and his life. So let's be obedient. Let's not water down the message of Christ, but may the love of Christ humble our hearts as we reach out to our world with that love with that truth because Jesus is the only one that has the answer to change us. Amen? I want you to take out your uh, communion cups. We're going to take communion together and we're going to pray together. You can take the foil top off the top which will get the wafer and then you can open the other top. So we'll make a joyful noise unto Jesus right now and uh, you can take that off. And I, as, as you do that, I just want you to look at the emblems. Um, I want you to understand that when Jesus says to do this in remembrance of me, he wanted us to remember the great sacrifice that he paid for our sin and what happened in the garden. And I want you to know today that there's ultimate hope in Christ Jesus. That even as we battle with our flesh, 
and our desires, Jesus has overcome them for us. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, he gives us ultimate hope that those sins will not hold us down. They will not hold us back. Because through Christ Jesus, they're forgiven. And through his perfect life, as being God and dying for our sins, he paved a way back to the Father to restore that which was broken in Genesis chapter 3. Can I just say this to you? For those of you that are struggling today, I want you to know that we love you. You may be struggling with your identity today. I want you to know that we love you. I want you to know that we're open to conversations with you and we want to help you and love you, whether you're watching online or you're here today. And I want you to know today that Jesus knows you better than anyone else. He knows all your secret thoughts. He knows all your pain. I had a young gentleman come up after the first service for prayer, just struggling with his life. He lost his father at a young age, and um, he's been coming to church with some neighbors. He asked if he could come to church. And as I prayed with him, he just said, I know Jesus is the only one that can fix me. (laughs) Father God, as we just bow before you today, Lord, I thank you for coming to fix our greatest need. And Lord, the, the, the rebellion and the sin that's in our, in our world today is, is obviously seen in all the confusion that's in our world today. And I thank you that your, your word deals with that. But Jesus, we need you today. And we need you to fix us. We need you to restore us and cover us and cleanse us from our sin. Thank you for receiving us thank you that it's only by your grace. It's nothing we can do. It's by your grace. And through our faith in you, we can find salvation. We can find forgiveness. And you make us whole. You make us a new creation. So I pray that you would restore us today and that as we look to you, we would find our identity. So as we hold these emblems in our hand, we thank you for this wafer. We thank you for what it means. We thank you that it was your body that was given for us. And as we partake it today as the family of God, we look to you, Jesus, as our only source of help and hope. We thank you that you came to earth as the son of God, fully God, fully man, in order to deal with our greatest needs. So thank you for dealing with our sin need. Thank you for restoring us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. And Lord, we thank you for this cup, which symbolizes your blood. We know there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So we pray that you would restore us, cleanse us, make us whole again. We thank you, Jesus, for doing everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. I pray you would bind us together as the family of God as we traverse through this world and our struggles, that we would be a church that would be steadfast in the truth of who you are and what it means to have a changed life in Christ, but also walk in that love and that grace to a world that so desperately needs it. We, we need wisdom. We need your help, God. We thank you for giving us the wisdom in your word to accomplish that. So we thank you for what this cup symbolizes in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. 
Amen. Would you stand with me today if you're able? We're going to just sing this song about God's amazing love and closing today. And just um, make this your prayer today as you sing this unto the Lord as we just worship Him and thank Him for His goodness today. God bless you.